one of the things that we've, we've said as we've been studying through the book of Acts is it's called the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles because what it does is it chronicles the time period from when Jesus goes back to heaven for the next 35 years, what took place in the early church, what the apostles did. It gives us a glimpse into the theology uh, of, of the, and what they, what they held, the history uh, of what, what they believed and all the things that took place there in that, that first generation. So one of the things that we've mentioned every week at the top of your outline, we mentioned that Acts chapters 1 and 2 took place in 30 AD. And uh, by the time we get to Acts chapter 5, 5 through 7, it's about five years later. So this is going to be about 35 AD. Last week we left off in chapter 6 with seven people being chosen among the congregation to serve and oversee some specific ministry and and a a growing church, a a growing ministry. It appears that they were brought on full-time in the church. It was a full-time job, so so they were brought on full-time. Acts chapters 5 through 7 will take place over the period of a year but we're going to look at today is going to take place in just a few hours. It's going to be uh, a very short period of time. It's the story of Stephen. And uh, in some of your Bibles will say Stephen uh, or Stephen. If I say Stephen or Stephen, it's, it's the same thing. But most, most theologians will tell you when they come to Acts chapter 7 that it's their favorite chapter in the book of Acts, and many will say it's their favorite chapter in the entire New Testament. There's a lot going on in this. We're going to highlight some things, but we won't be able to cover everything. So I'm going to give kind of the big picture. But in Acts chapter 6, if you could just look very quickly, in verse 5, last week we looked at how they were choosing these seven to oversee some ministry. And verse 5 it says, the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and they want us to know he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So this man, Stephen, uh, the one thing, unlike the others, it tells us that he was full of faith. That manifests in verse 8. And in verse 8 it says, And Stephen, being full of grace and power, was performing great wonders, some of your Bibles will say miraculous signs, among the people. How many of your Bibles use the word miraculous there? In there, Good. That's probably a better translation. And so here's Stephen, full of faith, performing miracles among the people. And that word among there is, is kind of interesting to me. We I don't think we'd miss it, but it means among or before the people or for the sake of the people. And the idea is these miracles that Stephen is performing, he's not doing magic tricks where he's like pulling a rabbit out of a hat. He's performing miracles on behalf of people, uh, meeting, meeting, meeting the needs that they have. So that tells us something. And I want you to write this down, this man of great faith. Stephen believed that God still wanted to do great things in his people's lives, in the lives of his people. God still wanted to do great things in the lives of his people. So God wanted to bring healing into the lives of his people. He wanted to bring restoration. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's relational. But God wants to do that. And we've been saying for the past few weeks that it's important to come to understand that that's God's heart for his people. God does not send sickness on his people. He always sends healing. 
And the reason that's so important to understand that is that it's very hard to believe God for healing if you're at the same time believing that God is the one who did this to you in the first place. Jesus said, I come that you might have, what's the word? And have it more. But Satan comes to kill and destroy. So let's never take that which kills, steals, and destroys and say that's really coming from God. Jesus cleared that up for us. So so we see that. But God still wants to do something, as as Stefan shows us, he still wants to do that today. And we're going to talk a lot about that as we travel through. So God's doing this great work at this time. But anytime God is doing a great work, one of the things that we find in verse 9, how many of your Bibles in verse 9 begin with opposition arose? Yeah, that's the best way to translate that because anytime God is doing something great, opposition will arise and we're going to see that. So I'm going to read it in my translation, verse 9, and it says, but, men, but some men from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some men from Cilicia, go ahead and underline Cilicia, and Asia rose up and argued with Stephan. Now uh, what we need to know, there, this is a synagogue there in Jerusalem and it's primarily made up from people who come from different parts of the world. And one of the, the parts that we notice is Cilicia. Paul the Apostle later on as he's telling his story, he will say, and I put this there on your outline, it says, Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia. Does everybody see that? You might want to underline that. Now what we're going to find is that Paul is going to be in the synagogue. He's not saved. He's not a believer. He's known as Saul at this point. And so keep that in mind that Saul is here in this, in this discussion today and everything that takes place. So verse 10, it says, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephan is speaking. And it's not that he's smarter than anybody, but the Holy Spirit is giving him what to say. And they can't cope with that wisdom. So then they secretly introduced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses, I've underlined that, and against God, against Moses and against God. Now I like the, um, the God's word translation, it just says there in your outline, they bribe some men to lie. They bribe some men to lie. And they're saying that he's speaking against Moses and God. Verse 12, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came, they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses, I've underlined that, who said, this man incessantly speaks against the holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. So um, keep in mind that Paul is there. Paul is not saved yet. Stephan is the only believer in this group. At the end of our chapter, Stephan is going to die as the first martyr. He's going to be stoned to death. So the only way that we know that they brought forth false witnesses, that all these, this is what they were accusing him, is because somebody in that synagogue, in that council, got saved later on and told the story. We believe that's Paul, the apostle. Later on he gets, the sto- gets saved and he tells the story. So they, they launched these accusations. Now go ahead and write these down very quickly. They, they say that he spoke against the temple, the holy place. They spoke against Moses and the law. You want to write that down. Now Moses and the law are often used synonymously in, in the Bible. And, uh, and ultimately they said he was speaking against God. These are all going to be false accusations. So verse 15 
as he gets the chance to speak, it begins, it says, And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Now, when you see the face of an angel, sometimes we have this perception of angels are naked babies flying around with smiling little faces. That's not the face. Uh, An angel in the Old Testament in the Bible would be those who would bring judgment. So they have a very resolute face. They're not intimidated at all, and that's kind of the idea that's going on. So verse 7, or chapter chapter 7. Now, Stephen, um, before we read this, Stephen's going to give his response. As a boy, in our church, we were told, you read the, the Bible every day. Good, good stuff, you need to do that. And so in our student ministry, they'd say, you need to read the Bible three chapters every day. I'm one of those people, if they say, you read it three chapters a day, you know, I'm going to read it five chapters a day. And even when I was in high school, I would be like in great sin, which I'm not going to go into today, but I still had to read the Bible. You know, this is something about it, I couldn't get away from it, so we read it. So I would come to Acts chapter 7, and I would read this chapter, it's a very long chapter, and I'd read it and I'd go, okay, what's that about? So I, I want to give you the punchline um, in case I put you to sleep on this and you want to read it later. But this is what Stephen is going to be saying in this whole, in this whole chapter. So you want to write this down. Uh, as he goes after them to give a defense. Now this will not be a defense so that they will say, okay, you're not guilty. He's just going to be sticking it to them. So the whole theme of this, the main theme rather, Israel has a history of rejecting God's message and God's messengers the first time. So you want to write that down. The first time they, mow it, they always miss it. And, um, and so uh, he's going to begin to give them a Bible study and they're going to find out that he knows his Bible a little bit better than, than uh, they do. So he's going to begin with what we're going to call Exhibit A. And Exhibit A is going to be Abraham. Abraham is going to be the first Jewish person, the first Jew. They would understand that. And the truth is that Abraham misses it the first time. Abraham misses it the first time. So verse 1, the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Now underline, before he lived in Haran. So the Bible kind of picks up the story and he's there in Haran. But way before that, God had already spoken to Abraham and said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran, underline Haran. And from there, after his father died, God had him move from this country to which we are now living. That is the land of Israel. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. So God tells Abraham, you're going to get this land. But then, verse 6, and God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land, Egypt, and they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will, they will come out and serve me in this place. Now I've put, if you're not familiar with these stories that we're going to go through, I've put the address of those stories so you can go back and look at them later on. So I'll just give you the Reader's Digest version. And uh, so at a certain point, long before the story begins with Abraham in the Bible, we, we find it says, and you want to write this down, Abraham heard God's voice saying, follow me, follow me. 
And it says, before he lived in Haran. And you can look that up there in Genesis. And in verse 2, it says, before that happened, before he lived in Haran. God had come to Abraham and he says, I want you to separate from these relationships. In this case, it was his certain relatives. Um, and he says, and I want you to follow me. Well, um, Abraham was probably about 50 years old when God said that to him. So it wasn't like he was a 13-year-old kid and God says, separate from your family. He's about 50. It's time. So, so Abraham heard God, but instead of following God, instead, as you read the story, he followed Terah, his father. And so what we find as he follows his father Terah, in Hebrew, the word Terah just means there in your outline, it just means delay. Does everybody see that? Just means delay. And so this is going to lead to a big delay in Abraham's life. So sadly, and you want to write this down, Abraham followed the wrong relationship. God said you need to separate from this, but he wouldn't do it. Well, following that wrong relationship led to the place called Haran. And you want to write that down, Haran. Now in Hebrew, He's following the wrong relationship. In Hebrew, they don't say Haran, it's Charon. Maybe a little bit of a Haran in there is the idea. But Haran in the original language just means parched, angry, burn, or dry. Does everybody see that? So that's the definition. Charon just means parched, angry, burn, or dry. So for about 25 years, Abraham follows the wrong relationship And he finds himself, and I would say, spiritually speaking, we might say, in that place where he's parched, angry, and dry. It just has not turned out the way that he wanted it to turn out. That's important because there are some of us here today, um, so for some of us, we would say there was a time when God said, separate from this relationship. Maybe it was a a person that we were dating, maybe some, some type of relationship, Um, maybe it was a, we might say a toxic relationship, maybe it was a relationship with a substance. And God said separate it, and we know that God said separate from that and follow me. But we didn't. And in the end, it led us to the place where we'd be described spiritually as parched, angry, and dry. Has that been anybody's experience here today? What about in the video of in your room? Any hands? A couple of hands? Good. So how many, how many of you have been in that place before? Good. All, many of us have. have. Yeah, some, some people are like this. That's great. <laughs> so so here, here's the thing. Some of us have learned that lesson, and we've learned it the hard way. Some of us are in that place right now, and we know that God has spoken, but right now we're not, we're not separating, and we're following that wrong relationship. Now one of the things that we find and I want you to write this down, is Abraham doesn't hear from God until that relationship ends. Uh, Literally, that relationship has to die. And you can look that up later in Genesis 11. Bible scholars tell us that Abraham burns up about 25 years following that wrong relationship. That's a big chunk of life to burn up following the, the, the wrong relationship. What I've learned, when God tells him, follow me, and Abraham doesn't, God never says another thing to Abraham until that relationship ends. So there on your outline, if I come to a place where I'm not hearing from God, I always want to ask, what's the last thing that God said? What's the last thing that God told me to do? 
For Abraham, that relationship, until that relationship ends, he never hears from God. But once that relationship ends, he begins to hear from God again. But the idea is that Abraham misses it the first time for about 25 years. God tells Abraham in the beginning, he says, one day your descendants are going to go down into Egypt, and then they're going to be brought out. So there's going to be the next exhibit of some who missed it the first time that God did something, and this is going to be Joseph. And we're going to find that Joseph is going to be the man that God wanted to use to save Israel at that time, but Israel's going to miss it the first time. So verse 8, it's going to say, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs, the 12 tribes, the patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph. And you want to underline that. And sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him. Joseph will be the man that God wants to use to rescue God's people, but at first they're going to reject him. And part of that rejection is they're going to sell him as a slave. We'll talk about that in a moment. They sell him as a slave. It begins in verse uh, verse 9 by saying, yet God was with him and rescued him, verse 10, from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him the governor of Egypt and all his household. So Joseph was the one that God wanted to use to save Israel at that time. He would be rejected by his brothers, and so they sell him, and yet he's elevated to the place where he sits down at the right hand of the guy that they believe is the God or the king of the entire earth. He's going to be a picture of somebody as we see. Well, verse uh, 11, it goes on to say, now a famine came over all Egypt, some time passes, and Canaan, great, and Canaan and great affliction with it. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. And I want you to underline the first time. The first time that the brothers come before Joseph, they encounter Joseph, he's going to be their savior, but they're going to completely miss it. They won't recognize him. So then you go to verse 12, and it says, uh, verse 13, But on the second visit, underline that, this would be the second appearing, we would say, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. So now they recognize, but not on the first visit, it's going to be the second visit, they're going to recognize him as their savior. And so what does he do? Well, verse 13, uh, 14, then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. So even though they did great harm to him and they miss him the first time, it will be at the second time that he appears before them that in great grace, even though they did great harm to him selling him as a slave, he will now invite the entire family to come and be with him. He's going to be a picture of someone. One of the interesting things that we find is that When they sold him, uh, go ahead and write this down, Joseph was rejected and sold for silver. And you can read the story in Genesis there. And so it says, and they sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Now, uh, he's going to be a picture of Jesus. Some of you say, now wait a minute, if he's a picture of Jesus, 20 pieces of silver, 2,000 years later, Jesus is sold for how many pieces of silver? 
So you say, well, what's, what's the deal? Inflation. <laughs> the idea is not the piece, number of the pieces of silver. The idea is that was the price of a slave. It was sold for the price of a slave. Also very interesting, when Joseph is in prison before he is at the right hand of the one who would be the king of the world in their eyes, he's there and there is the baker and there's the wine store. Do you guys remember that story? And so they have this dream. Now the baker will represent the bread or the body. Jesus says, this is my body. The wine store represents the blood. Take this cup, you know, this cup represents my blood. And so as he gives the interpretation of the dream, he says to the baker who represents the body, he says, you will be hung on a tree. He says to the wine steward, you're going to go free and be restored. And ultimately it would be the wine steward who represents the blood will be the one that sets him free. It's a picture of communion. It's a very, very short rendition. Did you find that interesting at least? So he's a picture of Jesus and you get that as you travel through. But it will be, go ahead and write this down later, Joseph's brothers recognize him as their savior. And that would be on the second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was. The, Joseph, the brothers missed it on the first visit, but they'll get it on the second visit. And, and Stefan is uh, making a point here that you've missed Jesus on the first visit, you'll get it on the second. That leads into exhibit C. So, uh, and this is going to be the story of Moses, who is also going to be rejected as the Savior at first. So we're going to pick it up in verse 15, and it says, And Jacob went down to Egypt, and he and our fathers died, and from there they removed to Shechem and laid the tomb, and Abraham purchased for a sum of money, and the son of, uh, sons of Hamar and Shechem. That's a totally different story. We're just going to keep the train going here. Verse 17. But as the time of promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king. That word another is very interesting. Another king in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. Knew nothing about Joseph. Israel goes into Egypt and they're going to be there for several hundred years. There comes a time when there's another king, another Pharaoh in Egypt. But this king is going to be very different. He's going to be another kind. There on your outline, another heteros. And that means there on your outline, not of the same nature. Does everybody see that, that uh, definition there? Not of the same nature. What we find is that the Bible teaches that by the time, and, and also history records, by the time Moses comes around, the Pharaoh there in Egypt is not Egyptian. And so there on your outline, Isaiah would say it like this, for thus says the Lord God, my people went down to first into Egypt to reside there, and then, then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. So they have a different Pharaoh, a different king, and he's not even Egyptian at this point. World history records that, and uh, certainly we see that in, in, in the Bible. But he has no understanding of this Joseph or the people that came from the, the Jewish people and how that they were a blessing to the nation. So he begins to oppress them. Verse 19, it was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God and he, nurt- he was nurtured for three months in his father's home. And when he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and nurtured him as her own son. So you know the story. Moses actually grows up as a prince in Egypt. 
verse 22, and it says, And Moses was educated in all the learning of, of the Egyptians and was a man, and you want to underline this, a, a man of power in words and deeds. Does your Bible say something like that? Power of words and deeds. Now that's interesting because um, what we find is that um, 40 years later, God comes to Moses 40 years later and says, I want to use you to save these people. And Moses does what many of us do. He begins to make excuses in front of God why, why he shouldn't have to do that. Is, am I the only one who's ever done anything like that? So, and I want you to notice this. It says that he was a man who was mighty in words and deeds. That's who he was. But Moses wants to get out of something. So when God comes to Moses at the burning bush 40 years later, Moses says this there in your outline. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and tongue. To which God says, no, you're not. You're just trying to get out of it. So fortunately, God doesn't let him get out of it. Verse 23, he says, but when he was approaching the age of 40, now he's still in Egypt at this point, he's still a prince in Egypt, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Now, verse 25, you want to underline, and supposed, he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Um, God wanted to save Israel right then. You want to write that down. He wanted to save them right then. But they didn't recognize. They didn't recognize Moses. Moses believed that he was supposed to deliver Israel right now. So, verse 26, on the following day he appeared to them as they were fighting together and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, men, you are brethren, why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his brother pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, and there he became the father of two sons. So they reject Moses as their savior. And go ahead and write this down. Their rejection cost Israel 40 more years. 40 more years. It'll be 40 more years before Moses is there and the burning bush thing happens. So verse 30 it says, and after 40 years passed, underline that, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. And Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight and approached to look more closely. And there came a voice from the Lord. I am the Lord of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans and I have come down to rescue them. Come now and I will send you to Egypt. A whole lot happens there. Verse 35 it says, this Moses whom they disowned. How many of your Bibles say this Moses whom they rejected? Good, that's a better translation. Whom they disowned saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This is the one whom God sent to be both, my translation says, a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel 
who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. And so um, you want to, there on your outline it says, verse 35, after 40 years had passed, and then it says, this is the same Moses whom they rejected. And then in verse 35, my translation says, God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer, but I, I like this translation better. I'm going to put it on the, string, on, the, on the screen. Moses is the same man God sent to be a ruler and savior. God sent them a savior and they rejected him. As they, he sent a savior and they rejected Joseph is the idea. Does that make sense? So verse 37, they reject Moses at first as the savior And then in verse 37 it says, this is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. So Moses says, one day God's going to raise up a prophet from you, from your brethren, he's going to be just like me. Now every denomination, everybody agrees that's speaking about Jesus. He would be the prophet that God raised up. How will he be just like Moses? Well, there on your outline, like Moses, Jesus will be rejected first. That's the point that Stephen is making. There will come a day at what you and I call the second coming. When Jesus comes back, Israel will look on and they'll recognize what took place. So there on your outline, 520 years before Jesus was even born, The prophet Zechariah said about the day that Jesus comes back the second time, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, underline that, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. One day they're going to recognize and say, "We, we missed it, we missed it interesting to me is that was written about 520 BC. In ancient Israel, when somebody was executed, what was the method that they used? It was always stoning. Crucifixion will not be invented for another couple hundred years. But he says, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. So that's predicted. And they're going to realize and they'll say, what have we done? We missed it the first time. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm going to do. Um, we're going to, I'm going to let you read some of the verses later on. And uh, you can, I've given you sort of the framework for this, and so you can go down to that. But I want you to skip down to verse 51. Stefan realizes that he's really irritating because he's telling these guys, you always miss it. You've been missing it from the very beginning. Abraham missed it, on and on and on and on and on. There's a lot more in there, and you can read that later on. So in verse 51, just to warm up the crowd and seal the deal, he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just what your fathers did. Does that make sense? I I love when it says you stiff-necked because uh, there on your outline, back in Exodus 32, God speaks of the nation of Israel at that point. And these are his people. And he says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. And uh, 
almost 20 times in the Old Testament when God's irritated with the nation of Israel, you know, they're not believing whatever. Uh, He says, you're a stiff-necked people. And so these religious leaders, they understand fully what Stephan is saying here. They're, They're not missing it. So he goes on, he says, so which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you've now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you did not keep it. So anyways, he's warmed up the crowd at this point to the place where verse 54, he says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now here he's called Saul, but later on he'll get saved and become a believer, and we will know him as the Apostle Paul. So next to Saul, I've written the word Paul, just so we don't miss that. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, sounding very much like Jesus on the cross. And having said this, he fell asleep. He, he died. So um, did you find that at least interesting today? You know, um, I wanted to call this getting stoned on Mother's Day. <laughs> but the powers that be, my wife, said I was not allowed to call it that. So yeah, that's the hardest part. So, so here, here's what I, I would want to say just as we wrap up and, and we close and we go enjoy our day. Are you in a place right now where you know that you know that you know God has told you there is a relationship that he wants you to separate from? It could be a, a wrong dating relationship. It could be um, a, a relationship that's toxic. It could be just, a, I'm not talking about leaving your husband or wife or nothing like that because they get on your nerves and it's Mother's Day, so not today. <laughs> but maybe God has spoken to you. There's something that he's calling you to, to walk away from. And right now you haven't. And what you're finding is, is time is going on. You're not hearing from God. Spiritually speaking, you would say, I'm just getting dry and burned and it's just, it's just nothing. Well, here, here's what we learned from our story today, that God begins speaking again when we do the thing that God said before. So what's the last thing God said? So on this day, I would encourage you I would encourage if God's done that, you're wondering, why, isn't thing, why aren't things happening spiritually? Why aren't things happening in my life? Maybe God said to do something and uh, we just need to take care of that and then we'll get going again spiritually. Maybe, you know, we, we laugh at the nation of Israel, you know, how, how could they miss it? You know, I mean, uh, you know, the, Moses does all these miracles and they miss it and, you know, they miss Joseph and, and yet how many of us, if we were to be honest, would say that so many times God is doing something in my life and our lives, and we don't get it the first time around. Would I be the only one that would say that? You know, it, it happens. But maybe, maybe God's saying something today, and our prayer needs to be, Lord, whatever it is that you're saying, don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss it. Because God wants to keep us going. There's so much more that God wants to do 
in our lives. And with that, let's just go ahead and, and close in prayer. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, thank you for today, this Mother's Day. We pray your blessing again on every mother here today. Lord, we pray as we went through this, Lord, it's by your Holy Spirit, your word, Lord, maybe speaking and saying to each of us individually, I've been telling you, let go of this relationship. And Lord, we find ourselves in that place of dryness, spiritually parched, and wondering why we're not hearing. And once again today, you've reminded us, this is what you've said. And so today, we purpose to end whatever that relationship is. And Lord, as we go forward from that, speak again to us. Give us direction as you did for Abraham. Tell us which way to go. Father, help us to make sure that we don't find ourselves like the patriarchs so many times who just missed what it is that you wanted to do because they had preconceived ideas of how it should be. Help us to see in your word, hear from your spirit, and help us not to miss it. I thank you for this congregation. I pray that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.